You're in tune to WKDU, 91.7 FM, Philadelphia. I have to tell you that I am so excited to be able to bring you this interview with, I have to say, a, a new friend of mine, DJ Steve Parry out of England. He sat for an interview with me when I was in Denver in June when he was playing with Dave Seaman and unfortunately Quiver uh, was not able to show to the event, but the two of them between Dave and Steve, they rock the house at Real Works that night. And um, I left my heart on that dance floor along with a lot of sweat. So it was a great night. And I'm so excited to bring you um, this incredible interview uh, that the two of us recorded when we were there. If I can get to it, that'd be even better. <laughs> Want to remind you that you can keep the light on human rights by calling Amnesty International at 1-800-AMNESTY. And also the show Politics of Dancing airs every Friday from 9.30 to noon Eastern Standard Time. If you want to listen to back sets, they are at soundcloud.com backslash WKDU, soundcloud.com backslash WKDU. And you can find me on Instagram at DJ Rue Girl, or you can even send me an email. And this is really going to date me at DJ Rue Girl at AOL.com. Yes, I know it's an AOL account. I need to jump on that Gmail or the whatever people are doing these days. So if you don't already know, Steve Perry, friend of the show, um, he's recorded over two dozen tracks over his long tenure. And I will just let him uh, speak for himself. Enjoy the next half hour interview. You're in tune to WKDU 91.7 FM, Philadelphia. You're in tune to WKDU 91.7 FM, Philadelphia. I am sitting in the Catbird Hotel in Denver proper. And here with me today is DJ Steve Perry from... Liverpool. Liverpool. I don't want, didn't want to say London because that's yes. not right. Everybody um, says London, but Liverpool. That, I, that's like saying New York when you're really from Philly. We, we understand. So how does that feel? You're playing two U.S. gigs back to back. And this is your first time playing the U.S., yes? First time ever. <clears throat> yeah, very excited. Actually got three, well, four if you include an after party, so I'm cramming them in. Oh, four, even better. This, this little mini trip. So, yeah, it's something that I've always, always wanted to do, play America. Um, so I'm the excited little kid in a sweet shop <laughs> kind of feeling. I'm half very excited, half anxious, but I, I get anxious when I'm very excited about something. That's that tracks. That's about right. So, what, what for? Well, what are your gigs that you're playing? So, you're playing here in Denver tonight, and then, and then um, next weekend, um, so the 16th, I'm doing a um, boat on the Hudson in New York, which is I can't believe I'm doing that. That's another <laughs> box ticker. Then um, we're doing an after party in Brooklyn, so I'm playing Getaway Brooklyn, another box ticker, and then the next day. I don't know where this energy is coming from. I'm going to Vegas and I'm playing a roof after hours party. And then the next day I fly back to New York and then I fly home. So my poor wife and kids when I get home it will not see me with much energy left, I don't think. However, I'm going to have a, a brilliant 10 days, I think. Oh my God, I am so jealous. Can I, can I tour with you? It'd be super, super fun. So, I mean, I, I, can't, I can't even... How did all this come about? Are you playing in the United States? Um, it's something I've always wanted to do, um, and we'd spoken to Kaz from um, Whirling Dervish during um, COVID times, so when it was all sort of supposed to come about, because this gig was supposed to happen about a year ago, I think, and it was rescheduled and rescheduled and re-rescheduled, then they said you're going to have to apply for your visa. Now, I didn't know they had to metaphorically jump through hoops to try and get uh, your American visa so um, I started jumping through those hoops and and yeah, I got it I was quite surprised I did get it but um, I, I'm glad I used a solicitor to do it because apparently they said if you don't then you've got no chance of doing it so um, yeah good good fun so it's been planning for ages and that's how it all began and then I just didn't think it was going to kind of happen until a few weeks ago and then I, I literally only had the Denver gig booked and then I just literally pestered a few people and they said yes I was like oh now I never I never pester people I was just telling you before we started this but uh, now I'm going to pester everyone I've ever met and people I haven't met just because sometimes they say yes 
That's amazing, and I'm. I think all of us could use to pester people. People are afraid to like make the make the call, and I think at my age and your age. I think it's like, just make the call. Yeah. Who cares? What, what's the worst they could say? Exactly. They could say no. Yeah. And the best thing they could say is, yes, please come down. Yeah. That's amazing. I so, mean, I, I did ask about another 15 people. who <laughs> Two answered and said no. And the other 13 blanked me. So it's, it's not a 100% <laughs> hit rate by any means. That's okay. You got one. And then yeah. out of one, yeah. many. Yeah. That's awesome for you. So for my listeners who may not be familiar with you, can you tell me a little something about your style and your sound, even though they got to hear your mix last week on the show, if they're just listening to this interview for the first time, I mean, I'd be familiar with you. Talk to me about your sound. Um, I, I suppose people would say I play progressive house, whereas I don't think I've played progressive house for about 15 years, but I play in the style of progressive, as in I start deeper, I slowly build the energy, um, and I'll change what, through what I call the gears. So as the night is developing, my music sort of intensifies and then there'll be a big moment or two. So it's kind of a little bit like um, like a progressive track, but over one night. So it's it just kind of... I, I know this is a journey, to, uh, a cliche, but it takes you on a journey. That's what I kind of think that I do I just play to music that I would like to hear on the dance floor so I play to myself (laughs) (laughs) I hear you completely I understand (laughs) completely but I think that you know part of doing our job is educating you know our audience and I think if we really like it that I think that they will feed off that energy and I think that that's what makes it what we do really special Um, so how long have you been at the practice of DJing and making music I actually started when I was 15. So, wow, when I had So now that, you're 21, Ed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm 52 in a few weeks, so that's 37 <laughs> years. But I don't know, it was just always a hobby. I started off being um, a literal mobile disco wedding DJ doing christenings and 18s and stuff. <laughs> and with the money that I earned off those gigs, um, where I was playing anything from things in the charts to Motown tracks to the Beatles twist and shout whatever uh, I used the money I earned off those to buy uh, dance records um, whether it be soul or hip hop or this new music that had just appeared called house music that everyone said was going to be a flash in the pan but uh, yes here it is all these years <laughs> later so who would you say were your heroes and your idols back in the day and who would you think I've kind of have taken on that mantle now or is it just still the same same folks um well the first dj i saw mix in a club was dave ralph he was from liverpool but obviously he's been over in america and done very well for himself over the last sort of 25 years so dave i used to go and watch him dj the first time i saw him dj was at an under 18s night so that'll make dave feel really old because he, <laughs> he's he's definitely older than i am um and it was the first time I'd seen somebody mix, and I was like, wow, I want to do that on the Technics decks. And I thought, how can you afford these Technics decks? Um, well, you cannot afford them now. No, They're at least double the price what we paid when we got them, So, yeah, and think, I'm not think, selling them. I think even more. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, so Dave Ralph. Um, then I used to get tapes off this DJ called Graham Park, who was mm-hmm. Hacienda resident DJ. Sure. Um, and then not long after... Uh, Dave Ralph took me to this club in Stoke called Shelley's where he just managed to get himself a gig so it was Dave Ralph followed by Dave Seaman who I thought was brilliant followed by this guy who blew my head off who was Sasha and they were those three used to play as the residents every week in this club Shelley's in 1991-92 and it blew my mind it absolutely changed my life I already thought I loved music until I went there and then I knew I had to do it for uh, well ever <laughs> I discovered Sasha and John Digweed in about 1993. I found their CD, their, um, not their Northern Exposure, the Renaissance CD in the record store in Tampa. And I fell in love with it. And I was like, where do I go to hear more of this? Yeah. At the time, I was only 17, 18 years old. So it wasn't easy to find in the U.S. Yeah. And I mean, seems like we cut, we are cut from the same cloth of the yes. same kind of uh, guys that really yes. changed our our view on music and how we've moved forward. Yeah. So first of all, or second of all, I really want to congratulate both you and Dave on your 10-year anniversary of your label. 
Uh, Dave and I chit-chatted about that uh, when he was uh, here a couple months ago. Um, that in this industry is a true achievement. Talk to me how you and Dave started, um, started the label and maybe even beginning where the name came from. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. Uh, it, and secondly, it doesn't feel like 10 years. I still feel like we're quite a new label, but I suppose we really aren't. Um, so I used to, I've had many jobs over the years. One of them was working in a record shop called Three Beat Records in Liverpool. And we used to sell records and send packages through the post to so many DJs. Paul Van Dyke to Graham Parker, mentioned to Doc Martin to Sasha, John Degweed, uh, this DJ called Dave Seaman. <laughs> so when, when the record shop closed, um, I, um, or it was about to close, and they offered redundancy, thinking one of the other lads would take it, and I took it. I, <laughs> I took redundancy on the day the wife was about to give birth to our firstborn. <laughs> in agreement with her so um, I then created this new job um, where because by then it was it was just as vinyl was literally fizzling away back then and the digital era had come through so everybody was playing mp3s either from Beatport or from music they being sent so I suggested to a few DJs how about if I look on Beatport and I'll buy your tracks and Timo Mas said to me he went well, that'd be great, but what about these 300 promos I get a week? And I went, oh, why don't you pay me to listen to your promos? And Timo asked, went, yes. And I said to Dave Seaman, why don't you pay me to listen to your promos and I'll sort your folder every week? And he said yes. And there was a few of them lined up, so I had access to literally... I was getting paid to have access to the best, the best music. And obviously, because it's an MP3, I put it in their folder. And it clearly went in my folder as well, and they were paying me for this. So I feel created... free. My email yeah. is feel free at any time. If you feel that you just need to unload from your laptop or servers at any time. So I mean, I've always been upfront. I've always had a lot of records awesome. nobody could get. Always. So even before that. So by the time I got to this, and then later on, I started working with Sasha. I had access to everything. So anyway, I was talking to Dave one day on. We were speaking on. AOL Messenger, so that shows you how long ago it was. <laughs> so, well, it must have been like 10 and a half, 11 years ago. Uh, and I said, yeah, I'm thinking of starting a label. And he went, are you really? And then my phone rang. And I was like, oh, weird, hi, Dave. And he went, why don't you do a label with me? And I initially said no to him. I said, no, because everyone will just think it's your label. And he went, oh, no, I promise you, everything's 50-50. All decisions will be 50-50. If we do an interview, it'll be both of us or I'll make sure I mention you. And I went, well, that, that's the only deal. I, I don't want to be um, your office boy. I want it to be my label. And he went, yeah, okay. And then he went, right, what are we going to call it? And he went, why don't we call it therapy audio? And I was like, no, no, because that's just audio therapy backwards and everyone's just going to associate it with you. I want, a, I want a different name. And at the time, I liked a lot of Spanish labels like Suara and Syncopat. So I said, what about a Spanish-y sounding name? And Dave went, leave it with me. So Dave that night watched Donnie Darko film. And the part of, there's a line in the film where it says, the syllables that you're used in, cellar, door, are the two, the most beautiful phrase you can say in the English language. So he, he rather than cellar, C E. He changed it to Salador, S-E-L-A-D-O-R. And he went, what do you think of that? And I went, it sounds Spanish. It sounds exotic. <laughs> so I Googled it and it didn't really mean anything. It was like, it was a type of paint in somewhere in South America. <laughs> so you paint now outside your house with I went, that's, that's weird enough. But let's call it Salador. And uh, so it began, really. I love those origin stories. <laughs> They're so much fun. So when I spoke to Dave a couple months ago when he was in Philadelphia, um, I've, we talked about what his hopes are for the label in the future and what the sound is that you're looking for as you seek new talent, um, either to sign or to feature. Talk to me about um, what you're looking for. Um, I'll tell you what we do get. We get a lot of people who say, we've made you a record based on all the stuff you've put out. Um, we've never signed one of them because we've already put those out. We want to put mm -hmm. the next thing out. 
So we just want to keep it musically moving. We don't want to be pigeonholed. We just want it to keep it fresh. Um, and we've never really stuck to one genre. We've stuck to tracks that we would play. But because we could, we've come from that progressive scene, we could play a deeper track or a housier track or a more melodic track. It could be an indie dance track, could be a techno track. So just more of that, really, and just keep, keep keeping it fresh, I suppose. That works, and I think that's what one of the great things about your label is, is that it's every track is a, is a little bit different, and it's a little bit surprising and special when it comes. Yeah. Um, we talked a, just briefly about you know that your sound is this progressive sound, but progressive, especially over the past years, has 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 so many iterations and genres. I mean, when I look for records, I'm like, do you still carry progressive trance? And then people look at me like I'm crazy. Yeah. Um, and I talked to a you know a Gen Z or the other day. It's like, oh no, I only play Playa House. I'm like, what in God's name is that? I'm like, have you even been <laughs> to Black Rock City? Have, do you even know what that is? She like looks at me like deer in headlights. So talk to me about what progressive sound means to you or what what, what that is, how you define it. Um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's changed. It's been a cool word. It's been a dirty word. It's been a trendy word. It's been a, a word that people don't want to be associated with over the years. It proper jumps around. It was EDM at one point. It's just been so many things. But to me, and I I didn't come up with this myself. I pinched it from Sander Kleinenberg. He said, progressive isn't a sound. It's a style of DJing. And, and it's my another friend of mine, Pez, who used to work in the record shop, always says, you start off at one point, you go on a little journey and you end up bigger and everyone's happy. And I was like, yes, it's that. That's what it is. That's about right. Yes. I agree. Um, so if you weren't DJing, what would you be doing for a living? Um, well, I, I did originally want to be um, an architect. And, and the reason I didn't get into architecture is because I, real, I realised that once you'd left school, you had to do seven more years studying. So I'd probably like to do some kind of design, maybe, I think. It's some kind of, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd love cooking as well, but I just don't think I could do the hours. Being in a kitchen, I think it'd drive me flipping mental. Every chef I know is proper stressed. Not that I'm not stressed, but they seem majorly stressed. No, but I think it's interesting that you pick two very creative fields. And, and cooking is very much like what we do as DJs, yeah. you know, blending ingredients, blending sounds yeah. and tones, yeah. and making something, another thing that's completely different and better than the, the, the sum of their ingredients. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I've never thought of it like that, but I suppose so. It's, um, and you're also, it's like making music, isn't it? You, you, you um, Paul McCartney said, I'm dropping some names, I don't know him, by the way. <laughs> Don't all you English people know each other? You don't? I mean, when Paul was round at ours for dinner the other day, he said, the thing about writing a song is you can walk into a room and you can leave with something that previously didn't exist. But that, I mean, that's like that for music. It's like that for design. It's like that for cooking. So I suppose it's, yeah, it's, it is that creative invention thing, I suppose. Absolutely. So you've dropped a lot of names, some of the heavy hitters in the industry. But what, in your opinion, makes for a great DJ? Um, hmm. It's um, it's what they play, and it's how they play it. Uh, you could give you could give ten DJs fifty tracks and say pick some of those, and they're all going to sound very different. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean they're all going to be good because they play the same music. It's somebody you can. Um, create an atmosphere I suppose um, I mean it, 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 different DJs do different things I've got friends who are disco DJs and they, they play they don't necessarily take you on a journey but they're amazing DJs it's just how they control the crowd really I suppose so DJing and the craft of DJing has really changed I would say I don't know it looks to me like it's changed in the past 10 years and so, so much of what we see featured in big festivals are DJs that do this thing as performance artists. Yeah. Less about the craft of music and more about the spectacle. You know, I'm thinking about somebody who wears a mask on their head, name yeah. should not be named. Yeah. Um, but who, it's that kind of thing and it's hands in the air and jumping around. Now there's a, if you can't back it up with the skills, I, I, I kind of take issue with this. What are your thoughts on these developments uh, uh, industry-wide? I, I just think it's a different thing. I think it's, 
I think that is the equivalent of what we'd have called a Sharon and Tracy club. So basically playing commercial music. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Sharon and Tracy were just very 80s girls' names, so they call them Sharon and Tracy clubs. I just think it's a variation of that. Like my friend was the best party DJ you've ever heard. He was still a DJ, but he just played music like mm-hmm. I didn't play, and he'd talk on the mic and he'd make everyone go crazy. And he's an amazing DJ, so, but it's nothing to do with what I do. Mm-hmm. Like, um, a hip-hop DJ can be absolutely phenomenal, and he's still a DJ, but they, it's a completely different world to what I do. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's just fragmented, and um, I think I used to let it annoy me, whereas now I can just separate it and go, yeah, it's just a different world, it's nothing to do with me I don't need to throw a, throw a cake in somebody's face that to me oh my god not I can't... a club DJ so for those of you who don't know that story can you share with that story the cake in the face story but that's um, that's a Steve Aoki trick where he and he's massively massively popular earning stupid amounts of money and people want to go to a club mid set for them to possibly <laughs> for the cake that he throws into the crowd hit them in the face and each to their own but yeah I don't think I'd like to be in a club covered in cake to be honest it's like people who go to a guar show to be covered in that whatever that green stuff or people used to go to a Gallagher show as the comedian to be like get hit with a watermelon I, I, I can't even so you work for label you've done curation for other DJs um, talk to me about finding tracks for yourself and I know from personal experience that dealing with Beatport is an absolute nightmare trying to find things because you know there's melodic techno electronica indie dance blah 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 blah, mm-hmm. and everything is so sub it's exhausting and really hard to find something specific that you're looking for um and i mean i remember the days when chicago house techno progressive trance florida breaks what tricks of the trade do you have to help file through so much of the stuff and get to the real gems any tricks for the rest of us um no it is it's hard because when i play is across a lot of those genres. So, uh, we uh, I was in Berlin with Dave the other week, and we met Tom Peters, who is the head of Progressive. Uh, sorry, head of Melodic Techno. He also helped out with Progressive section, and he does a few other sections. There's actually a person that's whose job it is. That's yeah. hard to believe that it hasn't yeah. been farmed out to AI. But thank yeah. you for telling me yeah. that. So, and and his job is to kind of make sure that the the right artists are featured in the right genres and stuff which is great but he what we were saying to him the styles that we play if you listen to six different genres you could say if you listen to just the top 100 sellers that's 600 tracks you've got to go through and you might find two so I mean I kind of I use a lot of and I always have done I, I use a lot of DJ charts because um I don't find many of them, but I will look, listen to, and I will go cross genres. I will listen to, look through a Massioplex tra- tra- chart, mm-hmm. and there'll be 10 tracks on there. I may or may not buy one of them. And and I jump around like that, and I'll check out some of the new releases of each um, genre. Um, I also have a list of favorite artists and favorite labels who are like, so they, when they have a new release, it's a, it's a little section that comes up that, ah, oh, there's a new track from whoever it may be, Robert Babbage or whatever. So I'll listen to that. But oh, you, that, wait, that's how you pronounce his name? I, I, well, that's how wait, I wait. pronounce it. He'll probably tell me off I'm saying it wrong. I have no, I, I, I can't figure, it's, it's, is it, I, I, Babich, I call him. It's, his last, C-I-Z, it's, yeah. it's Polish, yes? C-I-C-Z or something, yeah. I feel terrible. I feel like I should get people's names right, but it's yeah. very difficult. Yeah, hold on, Robert, Robert, let me think. Uh, and he speaks very softly. He's massive. He's about six foot six. But the nicest guy. Yeah. And he's like, I am Robert Babbage. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. As long as we have it right, but I play him on the show, I can say it right. <laughs> Just sample me, let's say it. So do you still spin records? Um, do you still have a record library? Did you get rid of all your vinyls? Or? Do I ask? No. I haven't. I, haven't I, I did one gig about 10 years ago, and that was the only one I've done. And I used to love it. But now I love playing on digital. Talk to me about why that is, because I still love vinyl. I love the tactileness. Yeah. And I and I feel maybe it's because I'm a visual artist. I just need to I need to see it. I need to see yeah. it, visually see where the breaks are. Yes. And look at the cover art and know what the track is. Now I've, everything's confused in my brain. 
I I think once I started using loops on the CDJ, I realised, I thought, oh, this is what I've always wanted. I always used to think, I wish that I'd just carry on a little bit longer. So my, I will use mix in and mix out loops. So that means that if a track would normally is about to end, you can just continue the last bit of the track over and over, which if you're doing a mix, and it's especially if it's like a little bit of vocal, it can sound absolutely incredible. Uh, and I just like the fact that you can then, say if it was a vocal of the track that was finishing, and the next track's coming in, you can put like a weird reverb or something. It can just make, the mix can be as almost as important as the track itself. And that's, that's the bit I find very, very exciting. That's my inner geek thing. I think that's a good trade. Yeah. I think yeah. actually, you're right, that's a, that's a good trade-off. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. Very fair. I think I have, my issue that I have at the station is we don't have the setup ready for that. So I'm still yeah. playing a mix of late 90s, early 2000s yeah. vinyl, mixing it with, with MP3s, but just yeah. playing start to finish. I don't really mix them because yeah. I don't have the technology at the radio station to do that. Yeah. Um, but it's just nice, and it's nice to touch a piece of vinyl. And yes. it, and you look really cool doing it. So. Yes, and I was the world's <laughs> biggest vinyl addict. I, I had about 12,000 vinyl, I think. I went to work at a record shop because I thought it would calm me down. No, I... <laughs> it makes it worse. Made it much worse. I'd buy, I reckon I'd bought three, 4,000 I've never played, just because I haven't made playing it. It's, I would never play it in a club. And I went, what's that? Oh, yeah, I'll have one of those like obscure masters of work dub b-sides which i'm never ever going to play but it just sounded good and i was like yeah i love that so um i was a horrific vinyl addict but i managed to get i was such a geek that i managed to get to <laughs> there was only like two or three records that i didn't own that were on my all-time want list and when i got to that go point, ahead what are, um, you still have records that are on your all-time want list? Well, I've got MP3s of them now, so it's, it's okay. Yeah, but yeah. still, I mean, like, listen, I see Sash and John Digweed's Northern Exposure, yeah. which I have on vinyl and I yeah. bought for, like, at cost at 20, yeah. for $25 yeah. at Satellite in New York. People are, like, selling that in, like, not great condition for, like, hundreds of dollars yes. on eBay. Yeah. I mean, do you have a white whale still? Um, KLF Grim Up North, the grey vinyl version, because that's the version Ooh. Sasha used to play at Shelley's. Now, Ooh. I always wanted to buy it, but it was always £100. No. And now I wish I'd have bought it at £100, because it now sells for £500. Now, I know you have children, so have you told, you have a list of what your records are worth, that way, if something should happen, because my kids will just take it all and say, take it to Goodwill. And I'm hoping that I'm like, this is what's worth money. Yes. <laughs> like, the no. money's in the banana stand. You know, yeah. I mean, like... Do they know like that your collection is no. has value beyond you? No, I mean, I probably should get it properly valued. I remember looking into it a few years ago, but it was just when the record shop had closed, and I, I was I remember looking on Discogs and I pulled a few records out, and they were selling for like twenty five pence each, and I was like, <coughs> no but good. Then, then I think when vinyl came back into fashion, it was a trend, and then especially during the COVID times, mm -hmm. vinyl prices soared through the roof so i'm they very really glad that i kept quite a lot of them i did get rid of a few thousand over the years but it was stuff i can't even remember so that's fine and on that note i really want to appreciate i just got mine in the mail a couple weeks ago want to appreciate that you pressed your last collection on vinyl for those of us who are vinyl heads <laughs> yes that was a very nice thing i appreciate Good. that glad you See, i'm it. supporting the label yes <laughs> Um, so tonight in Denver, you're playing to an audience of about what, 500 or so? I, I think so, yeah. All right. It looks, it looks like it should be a, a good, cool, warehousey space, so I'm excited for that. Um, how do you prepare yourself for this event, both mentally and physically? Have you planned tracks? Do you just let things flow? Talk to me about how that works. I never plan anything. I, I sort out my folders. So I, how I DJ is, when I used to play vinyl I used to sort my records out so at the front would be the deepest tracks and at the very back would be my toughest tracks and it just generally flow I could almost play them one after each other and that would work musically as a continual mix sort of energy wise so I sort my folders out now for when I'm DJing on CDJs into first gear second gear third gear fourth gear fifth gear so all the records are kind of around the same energy 
are in that folder. And if I need to think, oh, I need to step it up a bit now and just flick into the next folder. Um, and I put comments on every MP3. So, because sometimes, I mean, there's so many tracks and some, usually when I'm in a club, I look at something and go, I can't remember this. What is it? I can't remember it for the life of me. So that little comment I've written about funky bass line, it's got the vocal from the, uh, that track, uh, has a big drum roll later on, and I'll go, oh yeah. So it's just that sort of little reminder. Because I, I used to remember, when it was vinyl, I'd know the record sleeve. So right on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'd just see it and go, I know what it is. And I knew, I knew where to play it because it was in that. Yep. Where I'd put it in the record box. Record box. Yes. I remember. Yes. Through visual people. I yes. think that's taken sort of that visual craft away from us. So so you were supposed to be opening up tonight for both John Graham, who yeah. is Quiver, and Dave. Yes. But as of yesterday or two days ago, John was unable to get his USV so proof. So it will just be you and Dave. Yes. So you're warming up. What makes for a good opening warm-up DJ? And... How do you hold yourself back from playing some of those 3 a.m. tracks that you've been <laughs> aching to hear out loud and then cede the room to somebody else? Because I think about the job that Jimmy Van M did, who opened for Sasha and John at Twilo all those years, and what that must have been like, creating an environment that amplifies expectation for the audience. Yes. Like, how do you how do, you do that? Um, I used to study warm-up DJs a lot. Danny Howells is the ultimate warm-up DJ for me, I think. He can take it on such a subtle groove and without playing anything necessarily what you'd class as a big track can just generate a vibe where you just you just suddenly thinking, this is this is great. Um, so when I warm up, I actually pretend that I'm Danny Howells, which is great apart from in the last year, I've warmed up for Danny Howells three years, and it freaks me out warming <laughs> up for the person who I want to warm up for, who I pretend, I pretend to be the person who's coming out after me. And I've known Danny for 25 years. He's a top lad, but he's just the way he does things, he is, he is the master at it, I think. So, yeah, I just, I just try, if you're listening, Danny, I'm actually coming out and saying, I just try and rip you off. So, thank you for all the, um, influences it's really a gift to be an opening dj and really it's it's really about control because yeah. i would be like all right i'm just going to play these bangers and yeah. that yeah that's not really having any respect for the venue and the job that you were that yeah. you came to do um but as i get older i find myself interested in how djs balance their family lives yeah. with their travel and touring schedules and other commitments um and as a mom of two young kids i know i had to take a lot of time off djing to be a parent and I think that just may become with a mom role in general. What has the experience been for you as a parent, also of young kids? What makes it work? Um, you literally, you have to, it's a pure juggling act. So it's it's work. So my day job, I mean, which is all music related anyway, DJing and family life and just doing bits in the house and just, yeah, it's just juggling and then making sure I've got time to, go and see my friend because I realised I haven't seen my friends in a pub for six weeks they're like come on let's go for a beer in fact they normally say to me come on Stephen beer now I don't I'm English I don't need much of an arm twist to get to go for a beer so yeah it, it's just a juggling act really um, so there's many times I've been DJing until two in the morning get home at three and then, then we're getting up at nine to go to a theme park with the kids you just have to I just think just put the same effort in as you are with the family as you are with DJ and you just got to do a bit of everything really and as, as long as it's all working and not not one part really missing out then then it's all good I mean obviously sometimes you do spend a bit more time with the family and that's great or then sometimes you realize you haven't so you just have to do little tweaks I think and think oh let's do some family stuff again it's really nice to hear you say that because as a woman DJ you know what women are asked to do in the industry versus yes. what men are asked to do it's like okay i got small children i'll just go tour for like yeah. the summer yeah. but it's interesting i've watched how sasha has taken his family and they go he has a home in ibiza and yeah. i mean of course he's can afford to do all that stuff and all that travel but it's a lifestyle it's really a commitment to your family and where you are and the parting years are really kind of 
where I left in our younger years. Now it's just coming to do a job. It's, you know, it's traveling for work, even though it's really fun work. Yes. <laughs> um, so we both have been in the industry for decades. What do you think the industry is doing or needs to do as a whole to continue to evolve and bring in new and diverse voices? Well, especially in this musical scene, it seems to be, it's certainly in the UK. A lot of white guys. <laughs> white guys of an older generation. Older generation. <laughs> and it needs to appeal to the next music generation or the style of progressive or whatever anybody calls it will fizzle away and it and it it actually will it has it, it has to evolve it has to bring in the next generation um, I mean there are people people like Christoph who's doing exceptionally well and playing with Eric Prince and stuff and it's also good that Eric Prince is kind of progressive edged but there's also been a Tateno heads and old trance heads um, I, I just think yeah it just it needs to appeal and evolve and keep being fresh um, and I was a little bit worried that it wasn't happening but this year I've met quite a few UK and um, American younger generation people in their 20s who were loving it mm-hmm. and see I look back at the disco era especially the underground disco New York scene mm-hmm. of Larry Levan and Paradise Garage whereas they are looking back to Twilo and Renaissance and that blows my mind that makes me very excited it's like that's good because they're going to look back if they keep looking back they can keep carrying on the scene moving forward I've become very good friends with um William, who runs Super Progressive, and he's such a charmer. He's really, though he's not a DJ himself, he is so invested in the history of the culture and the scene, and he's interviewed everybody, and, yes. or almost everybody at this point, um, although I got you, so <laughs> lucky me. I beat you into the punch. Um, but, you know, what he's doing for the scene, moving it forward and educating younger voices yes. is so incredibly important, and how generous everyone has been about telling their stories. Like, what are you hiding it for? Are you writing a book? But, you know, to get it out there so people can hear it and really appreciate it. And come out to your shows, no matter where they are in the U.S. or everywhere else. Yes. Um, so where can folks find you on socials and hear more of your work or the label's work? Um, if you t- type Salador Recordings, I think that's the um, social thing for just about everything. And if you search for me, just search for, I think I've managed to get everything as Steve Parry DJ. So um, you'll find me everywhere. I've even taken the plunge I joined TikTok I don't know what I'm doing on the I haven't learned <laughs> your kids will help you I haven't, they're very good at it I haven't learned any silly dances or craziness I'm just kind of what I do on Facebook or um, or Instagram it's, I just post on there as well but yeah I'm trying everything I've, I'm on this thing called Be Real which I quite enjoy actually have you heard about this one? no so every everyone who's on there gets an alert at the same time it's just bing and you take a photo of what's in front of you and what's behind you at the same time and post that so that's my new thing and I quite like that actually because it's like rather than Instagram perfect world stuff this is you might be walking down the road slightly tipsy and not looking at your best so you just post that I like that as a photographer <laughs> by, by craft I'm like I love that idea any way to just to get people to like do more of a slow yeah. process and just slow down not, not try to filter the crap out of yeah. everything just you know, take, see things as they are yes. as opposed to how we'd want them to be yeah. well I want to thank you so much for your time and wish you such luck tonight at Real Works. I'll be dancing in front like a maniac um, and hopefully you'll be able to do another set for us on WKDU and just want to thank you so much for your time thank you very much for having me and yes I'll, I've got a few sets I can, I can send you away when you're ready so thank you for having me Hope you all enjoyed that interview. That was super fun to do. And he is playing tonight. If you are in, Mar- are in Marseille in France, my nieces, go see him spend tonight at Danceteria for Bastille Day and their Bastille Day celebrations. Going to be pairing, playing a couple cuts from Steve's catalog. This is Apracity. Apracity? Apracity. From Celador Recordings, about seven years ago. You're in tune to WKDU, 91.7 FM, Philadelphia.
You're in tune to WKDU, 91.7 FM, Philadelphia. That was two by Steve Pari, Micheleta, and Aprosity. And I don't know how maybe I didn't know this at the time, but this is a remix by Brothers in Rhythm, who is one half of which is Dave Seaman. I remember falling in love with them in the late 90s. And it explains so much about my taste in music. This track in remix is from 1994. See if you can guess the uh, original track. You're in tune to Debbie Kitty, 91.7 FM, Bellatoria. Think about it before you make the move. 
You're in tune to WKDU 91.7 FM, Philadelphia. My name is DJ Rue. You've been in listening to Politics of Dancing that airs every week from 930 in the morning until noon. Maybe an interesting time to listen to electronic dance music of any kind. But you know what? It gets your day started off right and gets you headed to partying into the weekend. And keep in mind, you can listen to any of my sets online at soundcloud.com backslash WKDU. That's soundcloud.com backslash WKDU. And you can listen back to this week's set as well as about 50 other of my sets that I have on a little folder right on our KDU SoundCloud file. Also, we are going to be getting some new merch in the fall. So be aware of that if you want to rock WKDU and rep WKDU all over this city and anywhere in the world. We would love to have that. And, of course, uh, tag yourself if you're wearing WKDU gear and you will be featured on our socials. The Covenant House Pennsylvania is a program of transformative change. The opportunity to move forward, often from lives of trauma and neglect, from the very first moment they approach young people with unconditional respect and support. They strive never to turn away anyone. The Covenant House remains a safe space for all people, regardless of race, gender, identity, or sexual preference. Learn how you can help or if someone you need or care about is in need of assistance. Call 215-951-5411. And of course, Covenant House is in Pennsylvania, but also they have uh, parts of the organization and chapters all over the U.S. Not sure if the world, but definitely in the U.S. Go to www.covenanthousepa.org to get find out how you can help and get more information. This song has been living rent-free in my head, so lucky you get to hear it. Uh, I heard it off of a Braxton set. It's becoming my uh, one of my new favorites. So I was uh, going to go see him last weekend in New York, but unfortunately he got waylaid along with a couple of other DJs in Montreal and couldn't get into the U.S. So bummer for me. I miss seeing him, but I can still listen to a lot of his content, of course, online and on all the socials. So thank you to Braxton for putting out great music. This is Joseph Ray, because of you. You're in tune to WKDU, 91.7 FM, Philadelphia. <laughs> 